welcome to my art forum. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your hosts, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Orthodoxy. This is a radio show about changing our minds. We also turn our radio shows into a podcast every week and put it up on postorthodoxy.podbean.com if you're interested in hearing the whole show afterwards. Our shows are also archived on butteamericaradio.org. And you could be listening live right now at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Or you might be listening at 102.5 FM. Or you might be catching our live stream on twitch.tv slash the Seviers. Ah. We're having some technical difficulties right now with uh, our Facebook live stream, but I'm sure it will be up shortly. Right. Yeah, welcome to the show. Guess I can't say I'm sure because Facebook is always, is always kind of messing around with us. A little hinky. Not an unreliable platform for live streaming as I've seen it. Yeah, we're not giving them any money, so they, they don't want to support us anymore. Mm. They, they don't want us using their platform, their free platform. <laughs> well then. Ah, uh, right. well. So, we'll just roll with what we got. So if folks wanted to watch the live stream, they could go to Twitch, right? Twitch.tv slash and I'm going to share that link on my oh, timeline and also on the post-Orthodoxy Facebook page. If there's anybody that wants to participate in the radio show today, we love having your comments and your questions and your links and hearing about your research. Yeah, speaking of the uh, post-Orthodoxy Facebook page, uh, I know last week I said I was going to be posting the topics before the show. Yes, and uh, we've been doing that. And we've been doing that. So and not as early in the week as I would like to, but we're still doing it. Uh, this week I've been trying not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but I have been going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> um, How else do you find things out? Right. We're dealing with, uh, it's a topic I've been wanting to talk about for some time. Uh, the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I saw a video on the post-industrial. Oh, maybe I can find that. Maybe I can find that link as well. Yeah. I found a video on. I'll the, find it for you. The post-industrial revolution. Fourth, the fourth industrial mm -hmm. revolution, which was this hour-long uh, breakdown of what it means, and so it's some official-looking guy with mm -hmm. an official-sounding voice. Is it the guy and where they all come and converge around him in the warehouse? They all converge around him in the warehouse, <laughs> yeah. And he breaks down what the Fourth Industrial Revolution is in his words, which sounds very, very optimistic. Right. It's a great thing that is going to change the world for the better. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying it ought to be. Now, I've got a lot of skeptical friends. And I'm also skeptical. <laughs> <laughs> I like the language that they're using. Um... 
so anyway, I wanted to go down a little bit. I don't. We're not going to really be able to in two hours go down the rabbit hole of what the fourth industrial revolution. Not is. all the way down the rabbit hole. No. What I wanted to do was introduce the idea to folks who are not familiar with the concept, and talk about related topics mm-hmm. to the fourth industrial revolution. I have been on Facebook since probably the beginning, and of Facebook of Facebook, and I. You know, I have mixed feelings about the platform. Yeah. So I've had some good times. I've had some sad times on Facebook. And recently <laughs> I've stopped really engaging so much. I have been posting things on our post-Orthodoxy page. As post-Orthodoxy, not so much on my own page. I'm just mainly sharing photographs. Because the conversation has become so um, cantankerous. All the conversations... It In doesn't, the U.S. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like just about every topic is you have to have a side. You have to be on one side or another, and you have to have um, a lot of – it just seems like a lot of people looking for confirmation bias. I like the, the thing that you put up on your Facebook page today about the difference between verification <sighs> and validation. Are we validating our point of view or are we verifying mm. our point of view? Yeah, I put that up a while ago when I decided that I was going to leave. Oh. That's my cover photo. Right. Yeah. Right. I decided I, I, I had been trying to help a bunch of people that I care about um, verify and mm. learn how to verify their points of views. And it turned out that most of the people that at least engaged with me online in discussions just wanted to validate their points of views. Well, I was looking forward to a, a spirited discussion today through uh, people's ability to feedback with us live on air, which mm-hmm. is often through... Our live stream. We yes. We usually do our live stream on Facebook. Uh, that doesn't seem to be functioning for some reason today. I have shared so. the live stream for our twitch.tv slash the Seviers. Oh, good. And I don't know. Uh, if you have from, to be a member to watch that or can no, you No, no, anybody there? can watch okay, that. Anybody good. can watch and comment. I don't know. I don't know why Facebook does this, but week to week they make new changes that we only find out every time we try to go live, and sometimes we can roll with it on the fly, and sometimes we can't. Thankfully, we have uh, 12 people listening at butteamericaradio.org slash stream right now, and uh, for those of you listening through other methods, you can always leave us a comment on postorthodoxy at facebook.com slash postorthodoxy. I made a post, Pete, and I'm going to keep an eye out on those posts in case people are listening somewhere else and leave comments for us. I'm so sorry, darling. That's all right. So, Do you want to cancel the whole show? Do you no. want to just put Bob on and come back another time and do the whole show later? No, I've got, I've got some things I want to throw out there. And again, this is just the beginning of the topic. The mm-hmm. Fourth Industrial Revolution is a big idea. And to get your, your head, my head wrapped around it, it's going to be more than two hours to do it for me to try to have a long-form discussion um, I could turn it off and turn it back on again. You want to try that? You want to try that? Maybe we can try it in a second. Okay. Uh, when I start uh, going down, I, I prepared some notes today. I'm excited. That I can go through. Um, I wanted to talk about wh- uh, where we are yeah. as a as a as a society and as a species, really, because we're no longer just uh, Butians or Montanans or Americans. Mm. We're, we're we really, I think, should be a little more concerned about. Uh, who we are as humans on a planet. It seems like we've gotten so hyper-divided. It used to be we could be Americans against the world mm. or for the world, but now within our own country, we're so divided on the left and right, divided on the religious, non-religious. We're fighting against on each race, other. non-race. 
we're fighting so much that we don't um, even have time to fight against the rest of the planet like we used to do. Ah, oh, the yeah, good geez. old days. Yeah, well, I guess the planet's Shucks. breathing a sigh of relief. So <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Fourth Industrial Revolution as a concept in contrast to a lot of the dialogue that has caused me to run screaming from Facebook because they don't seem to be, uh, the, the dialogue seem to be progressively non-productive, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at least on my feed. And I do have a lot of different folks on my feed. I have people who Wide are variety. on the spectrum of belief systems, political affiliations, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made for some good debates, but now it's just become so, um, so cranky. Uh, yeah, I've I've really just stopped engaging. I stopped engaging. I I find myself. Oh, I could no. I'm not going to comment. No, I've and that's new commenting. for you because you yeah. used to interact a lot, trying to share information that you've learned and interject thoughtful commentary when people seem like they're trying to learn something. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a tough it's a tough forum for me right now. So what I've done today is I've put together a few notes. And last week's show we were talking about this cat who was trying to give a perspective on the coronavirus mm-hmm. situation. Um, I like hearing various perspectives because I, as a as a, a being with cognitive functions, I can derive, I can go through a whole spectrum of, of information yeah. and try to pick out not what confirms my bias, but what shores up a perspective right. or gives me a, a more bolstered perspective because mm-hmm. I know that I, I, you know, I'm looking at various sources. I'm not just taking what comes down my favorite media source. Right. So usually at the beginning of the show, we talk a little bit about coronavirus. Yeah. I have a coronavirus update. Yeah. Here's a news article okay. from people.com. Mm. Three quarters... Of recovered coronavirus patients have heart damage months later. Three quarters. Say that again. That's the headline. Three quarters. Three quarters of recovered coronavirus patients have heart damage months later. Okay. Recovered coronavirus patients. This is not people who have just tested positive for coronavirus. Who knows? Well, they said patients. Yeah, but they talk about cases as if that means everybody's sick at the hospital, but... A bunch of the people who are cases of coronavirus are just like the 184 big sky construction workers who all tested positive for coronavirus, but none of them were sick. None of them were sick. So they wouldn't be considered coronavirus patients, would they? One would hope that a news headline would only use the word patients if that meant they had been admitted to a hospital. Well, what did the article have to say? What, What kind of news information did you get from Yahoo? There's a study that's been done of the 100 of 100 patients. 100 of 100 patients. No, I just stuttered. Oh. Yeah. There's a study that's been done of 100 patients. Okay. And 78 of them had heart damage, despite being, quote, mostly healthy prior to their illness. Mostly healthy. I think, as a sidebar, U.S. citizens are way less healthy than we think we are. Uh, I think there's there's data to back that up. I think we're that one, we're of, not one the of the least healthy country. countries yes. on the planet, right. actually. Right. Um, but we, we're so tough and Protestant work ethic-y and pull yourself up by your bootstrapsy that um, we, we go to work when we're sick yes. and we muscle through things. And it's only the sniffles and uh, I've had a backache my whole life, whatever. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and all of those things are not being well. Right. Like, if you wouldn't look at yourself and say, I feel healthy and well, 
then there's something that you could go and fix for yourself, you know? But I think most of the people in the U.S. sort of think like, well, I'm not horribly ill. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I'm probably, like this says, quote, mostly healthy. Mostly healthy. Okay. Sure, I have back aches and stomach aches and... Uh, you know, hair problems and acne and anxiety, but everybody has those, right? So what is that article supposed to be? What, what, what can we glean from the information they've given us? Well, I think it's important to note that most people just read headlines. That's true. Many people in the U.S. and most people in my experience, in my personal experience, will see a headline and if it uh, hits them in their confirmation bias, as in this information sounds like the information that I already think is that true. I've, that I've already identified with. I already know this and I, I think it's true. I share this information all the time. So I'm just going to share this one also. Right. Which is that the corona, whatever your belief system is, that the coronavirus is terrible and the worst thing ever and we're going to be, you know, screwed for life if we don't do something big about it right now. Okay. So uh, it hits you in your confirmation bias and you, uh, you go... You share it without reading the article. Should we do a trigger warning for people who are who are traumatized by the coronavirus news all the time? I mean... Trigger warning. Trigger warning. We might be throwing out some information that's not orthodox. Yes. We talk about the coronavirus. We are also not heartless scoundrels, right. Dark and I. Right. Dark and I are um, concerned individuals who have a lot of loved ones in highly susceptible areas of yes. the planet. Yep. Um, who are who are at risk, mm. and we also want to get to the bottom of figuring out what is actually going on with viruses on this planet. I would like to see the medical issue stop being a political issue myself, but we're in an election year in America, so fat chance. Yeah, yeah medical issues and social justice issues always crop up around election years, mm -hmm. and as one of and my then disappear immediately. And after then the we don't talk about them anymore. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this People.com article, which with the headline. Three quarters of recovered coronavirus patients have heart damage months later. And they're basing this off. And I'm like, okay, here's what I try to do. I try to make sure I'm not cherry picking. I got um, by a friend of ours on Facebook today who who said, happy birthday. Looks like you're getting really good at cherry picking. Okay. Like, and I'm like, that's kind of a, like maybe put the happy birthday message in a different comment. And a different comment. And then accuse me of cherry picking in another comment. Cherry you know? picking. Like, and, and what was she accusing you of cherry picking? Oh, that was a completely different article. Oh. I think... Um, is that the, I think the for, Forbes for, article? For, for, yes. For oh. people that think that there is one objective truth going around and that they know what that truth is about the coronavirus, that anybody that says anything differently is only picking information to match what they want. How ironic. Right. So cherry picking is just... Is, is similar to confirmation bias. Cherry yes. picking is just picking stuff that you want to have. Well... In your okay. life. So I try to not do that. I, I, I really, also. I try really hard to read articles. I have over half of my timeline is all conservative friends. Mm -hmm. um, I c definitely consider my beliefs to be much more, I guess, liberal or I don't know what the going term is for it these days. Nah, uh, yeah. And, yeah, good uh, luck. Inclusive, equality minded. Put yourself in a box so we know how to feel about you, Ainsley. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know I, how to feel about you if you don't. If put I don't know what your label box. is, look, I think that everybody should learn how to be themselves and not, and do no harm while they're doing it. Oh, That's wow. my moral code. All right. Um, and uh, so, so this article popped up being shared around by some of my friends, and I'm like, well, I personally don't think right now, from the information that I've read, mm -hmm. that the long 
you know, like I have this idea about the long-term effects and pre-existing conditions around coronavirus based on my research, but I'm right. like, but I'm going to go read this because what if I'm horribly wrong? Right. What if all this research that I've been doing and I still have somehow had the wool pulled over my eyes by the internet. So wait a minute, you were willing to go in and read something against your confirmation bias? I was willing and to, And you, yes. you were willing to torpedo your own bias with new information? I was ready to find out that the past few months... I've been horribly wrong, and coronavirus really is the worst thing since the Black Plague. Well, now I'm on the edge of my seat. What happened when you read the article? So I read the article, and these studies were, one of them was published in the Journal of American Medical Association Cardiology Magazine. That sounds official. That is where you go to find these sorts of, this sort of data. We should be going to places like JAMA, not just Google blogs. Right. (laughs) Um... So the first study found that three quarters, 78 out of 100, of recovered COVID-19 patients were left with structural changes to their hearts, even two months later. This is how they came to that conclusion. This is the correlation versus causation part of our radio show today. Okay. Because there's a difference, and it's essential that we know the difference between correlatory data and causal data. It's really useful. (sighs) The researchers examined MRIs of people's hearts from 100 recovered COVID-19 patients. Okay. Here's the first red flag that popped up for me. Patients between the ages of 45 and 53. That's a very narrow scope. It's a very narrow. When I see numbers like 45 and 53 instead of 45 and 55. Yeah. Or 25 to 55. Here are the things that I start thinking. You do 45 to 53 because if you included 43 to 53, your numbers would be drastically less heart damage because people develop a lot of heart damage in their mid to late 40s. Uh, Right? So here's, you know, like anytime you don't see like a a standard number, a standard amount of ages. These are things that I've learned from studying statistics. Somebody has narrowed the field of statistics in order to make a more intense result for the data, right? Right. And then I was also like, I noticed they're not including coronavirus patients from the ages of 25 to 55 because we have coronavirus patients from 25 to 55. Right, and again, they're also talking about patients. Right, so So these are people, I'm assuming... the vast majority of people who get coronavirus do not become patients. right. So they th- just find out in a test that th- they have it. The vast, vast majority of people who become patients have shown to have pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. Like 85% of people who have been tested and found positive never got sick. Right. And of the people that got sick, over 95% of them had pre-existing conditions. So if I was not... That made them more susceptible to illnesses. If I was not a discerning reader, I might read that headline and... Oh my God. Figure that if you get the virus you will then have you heart will problems then have heart problems because of coronavirus because of coronavirus so but that doesn't seem the way it's playing out when you get into the nitty-gritty let's okay. get into the nitty-gritty they compared those 100 recovered mris from ages 45 to 53 to similar people similar who did not contract the virus who didn't contract the virus. Okay. Now, what we don't know from that sentence without reading the actual JAMA study, which there's right. a link to, and you could actually go read it. Did you read it? I didn't read it okay. because I wanted to just focus on this on news this, article right. because that's usually the farthest anybody goes. We've only got two hours today, so. I know. I'm sorry. People can people can do that. People yeah. can go find the JAMA article and tell us if there's some really They're like, well, I we did missed. read the study and you're bogus. Well, then they should put that information in the people.com article because that's all most people will ever read. Hmm. So we're going off of what people.com is telling the civilians of the U.S. People.com. People.com. People, .com. people okay. magazine. Oh, geez. Right. 
Um, it's on grocery stands everywhere. I've heard of it. So they compared those 100 recovered coronavirus patients. So we're assuming with the word patients that that means people who actually contracted symptoms and went to the hospital. Okay. Between the ages of 43 and 55 only. That's a safe assumption. And compared them to MRIs of similar people, which in my mind, I'm assuming that means 100 people ages 45 to 53, but that might not be the case. Who are mostly healthy. Right. Who did not contract the virus. And when I hear the phrase did not contract the virus, I think that means either they were tested and did not have the virus in their system, Hmm. or they were tested, did have the virus in their system, but did not have symptoms or ever get sick. Okay. So we don't know. We don't know. It's not telling us. Okay. It's just saying people who didn't contract the virus, quote unquote. People who did not become patients, at least. Most of the COVID-19 patients had recovered at home. Oh, so they're letting us know. While 33 had to be hospitalized at some point in their illness. Okay, so that's great. They're okay. saying, the, so by patients, it seems like this article is saying people who actually developed symptoms of coronavirus. Okay. Not just people who were tested positive, but never got sick. So now from that, we can tell that this article is saying patients are people who actually developed symptoms. Okay. And people who didn't contract the virus are people who never developed symptoms. Okay. That's how we're looking at this data. Of the 100 COVID-19 quote-unquote patients, people who did develop symptoms of COVID-19, 78 had structural changes to their heart. Mm. Within that group, 76 had a biomarker that is typically found in patients who have had a heart attack, Mm. and 60 had heart inflammation called myocarditis. These patients were all, quote, mostly healthy prior to their research, the researcher said. Okay, what we need to know from this paragraph and the paragraph that follows, which looks at the other patients, is that this paragraph is saying by we looked at patients who didn't develop COVID-19 symptoms yeah, and patients who did develop COVID-19 symptoms and the patients who did develop COVID-19 symptoms, their MRIs all like three quarters of them had heart problems. Right. And the assumption is being made at least in this article. And now I haven't gone to go and read the JAMA study, but in this article it's saying that means we can know that coronavirus caused those heart problems those people had. Okay. And what should be alarming, what should be going off in your head, is that the only way you could actually know if coronavirus caused heart problems in those 100 patients is if you had a before MRI and an after MRI of the same patient. I feel like this article is being put out there to cover over the conversations going on around comorbidities and pre-existing conditions. Okay. That people who, who tend to get sick with coronavirus are people who were already not well. That's almost all the evidence that I've seen. All the data from the New York City Hospital and the CDC and the WHO points to over 85% of people who actually develop symptoms or 95% of people who de- develop coronavirus symptoms already had something going on. So from what I understand, the people who end up in the hospital are people who already had issues mm-hmm. and then got the coronavirus. But what, yeah. And also the highest spike in areas where the highest spikes were also happened to be where there was the highest amount of particulate matter in the atmosphere, airborne pollution. That is another. That is another piece of correlatory data that I think is really worth looking into. Yeah. 
a lot of people think that flu season happens because it gets cold. They correlate cold weather with getting more cold. Sniff, sniff. But another thing that happens at that time of year in the hemisphere that you live in, the flu season happens, is that all of the plant die and the dirt goes dormant. Well, they go dormant. And, and the air stops yeah. being filtered as much. Our, so pollution yeah. goes up. That's another piece of data to look at because the flu is around... And the same amounts year round. Yeah, the flu doesn't multiply in the winter in itself in the winter. It doesn't become more flu ness around you. We become more susceptible to yes. the ever present flu in the winter. Yes. Okay. Um, so anyway, yeah. guys, it's hard. It's, it's hard. hard, and it's it's our responsibility to to learn how to look at data res- like responsibly. I hate saying the same word twice in the same sentence, but this study is saying this study is saying. We know that coronavirus is mm. causing heart defects in people and heart attack markers when they do not actually have MRIs of the patients before coronavirus to show that they had healthy hearts before coronavirus. The thing that uh, I woke up to this morning was a headline that has bothered me all day. Mm. The Forbes magazine headline. Mm. So um, uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Ugh, it's really uncomfortable. You know, I posted a Forbes magazine article where somebody unfriended the, us from the show and said they can no Forbes. longer listen to us because of an article in Forbes right. that was saying some doctors are saying that we haven't examined the cost of the shutdown and the health risks because people aren't going to the hospital as much and so people are dying from things. The that other kinds the of dying about. that right, are right, happening. Right. So they're like, oh, well, you guys are obviously Trump supporters, and so that screw you, and mm. and you're, I can no longer listen to anything you say. If you're even questioning it, I wasn't posting a far right wing or far left left wing website. Wet it was wing. a Forbes, Forbes magazine. We've we've all heard of that. It's for the rich folk, you know. It's <laughs> like it's like a magazine about the economy, right? So it was an economic angled piece, mm-hmm. really. So here's Forbes magazine again. This is a post from a. A senior contributor named Ethan Siegel, mm. also known as uh, Starts with a Bang on Twitter, where he's dressed up in a blue costume with wings, apparently. I guess I like, think he's trying to make science accessible to the common man. And here's the problem with that. Okay. The headline that he wrote, I believe, in it's Forbes. on his article in Forbes magazine, you must not, quote, quote, do your own research End quote. When it comes to science. You must not. He's a scientist who's saying you must not do your own research when it comes to science. And probably the most cogent response is from a friend of mine who's a scientist. <laughs> and he said, well, most people are morons. This is, I'm, I'm, right. I'm definitely paraphrasing. Paraphrasing. We're paraphrasing. Most people are morons and you got to get information out there to the morons. And we don't need morons running around spreading memes most of bad peop- science. Mo- he's saying like most people won't actually do quality research. They'll they just go find research, a blog right. article or a news article that makes them feel good and share that as if that's research. This is in Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine is saying you must not. You must not quote do your own research because you can't do research because you're not a scientist this to me is who's a, trained you to research this is this is 
the reason I wanted to talk about this on our show, because our show is called Post-Orthodoxy. The mm. problem with orthodox thought is when that thought cannot be challenged. Right. When that perspective cannot be challenged, it is the one and only way. Therefore, you know, I think science has been, we've made some bad choices in science. Things that have been accepted science before have mm-hmm. been proven to be incorrect. That doesn't mean you don't trust science. That means that science is not a dogma and should not be a dogma and should not be an orthodoxy. Science is an ongoing reformation. Science is a question. It's a, it, science is a series of answers. Science is, okay, this is our answer until we find a better answer. So what he's saying is that let's look at the general consensus among scientists mm-hmm. and just agree with that. I find that a very unfortunate article. I find it very disappointing. And, and basically what our friend said basically is we have to – there's too many morons in the world for people to be doing their own research. And therefore, we have to dumb all the information down, which to me is a cycle that does not ever point back upwards. We if see we this keep, in the school system. If we keep child-proofing the planet, we all become uh, children. Yes, and this is some real blunt talk, but like we see this in the school. People used to graduate from college at 16 knowing four languages. That's not happening anymore. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. In the 17 and 1800s. Oh, way back then. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then it was like, no, everybody should have an education. No, we've become, we're not smart. It's like, no, some people, you don't need to know Greek and Latin to- Let me change that. We're not well-educated, I should Mm. say. We don't learn- uh, how to use our cognitive uh, facilities. Right. I'm really lucky because my mom did make sure that I took a few logic courses and critical thinking courses and I learned how to recognize patterns and I learned how to recognize logical fallacies and I learned how a Venn diagram works and how to read statistics. Like, I know I've not everybody gets that training. So I'm not even going to bother to read any of this article uh, because I must not do my own research. So he said I must not. I guess I'll just stop at the headline. Right. So I have an issue with that uh, idea. And that brings me to the larger issues that I wanted to talk about today, mm-hmm. which is where we are uh, as humans on a planet. Mm. So we are enthralled by a lot of um, there's a lot of enthrallment around politics, around um, what I would call uh, catnip, partisan catnip. Outrage porn. Outrage porn, where confirmation, we're constantly looking to confirm our biases. And mm-hmm. where did our biases come from? Oh. Um, these are all topics that we talk about on post orthodoxy. These are the things that we hammer every week. And I would like to maybe start. I'm going to read a piece that I've been working on today because rather than just bounce around because we can zoom out, zoom in, and then right. never get back to the one of the zoom outs that we wanted to get back into. Sometimes when, when we when we go back and listen to our show to put it on our Podbean account, it's kind of like, oh, we... We've we opened ne- up a cup, couple of cupboards that we never closed. We again, never so. covered that back again. So I took some notes for today's show because I really... I think this is really important. Uh, since before the coronavirus... I did open up the show almost every week with the same premise, which was that we live in a failed state. Mm. And I'm going to start with that premise again. Forgive me if you've we heard We meaning before. the U.S. We, the U.S., live because in a failed state. we does not cover the entire planet. That might be debatable <laughs> in terms of the failed state part. Oh, really? 
Um, well, the U.S. is particularly failed these we're days. We're particularly failed, but I am talking about the U.S. in particular right here. Okay. So I'm just going to go through some go of my notes it. here. Uh, we do live in a failed state here in the United States. The premise that we are living in a democracy or a democratic republic, whatever you want to call it, has been demonstrably and continuously proven to be false. This is something you wrote. Yeah. This is what I'm right. These, these and are, also, this is what I wrote. If you look at the dictionary definition of what a democracy is, or a, a democratic republic, the U.S. is not either of those things. We were supposed to be a democratic republic. We were never supposed to be a democracy. We keep talking about democracy, and we're not living in it. We're not living in a democracy. We right could now. have direct democracy, but we don't. So we do not live in a democracy. We do not live in a democratic republic. It is not functioning that way. Heard. We are working under the premise. And that's what's informing most of our political dialogue. Is that we, the civilians, think that, that we have elective, our votes yeah, yeah. are running the country. Yeah. So um, this is false. It's, it's more accurate to say that we're living um, in an oligarchy with unlimited political bribery. Mm. Uh, Citizens United. Uh, go down that road. Everybody knows that one. Uh, no, wait. What Citizens United? Citizens I don't. United, which allows unlimited political bribery in our political in our in our campaigns. Citizens United sounds like a good thing, though. Doesn't it? Okay, so Citizens it's Orwellian, United is it's like Orwellian a, language. Was that like a law that got passed? That was something that said that there's the corporations can donate unlimited amounts of money in political At, because campaigns. corporations are people too. So, like when. Greg Gianforte wants to run for office. He can get uh, three quarter of his uh, three quarters of his money from billionaires from out of state that are interested in our right. mining our mining industry here, and they can buy a senator for mm -hmm. themselves, and they don't even live in Montana. So right? that's Citizens United. That's that's the problem with Citizens. I United. saw a great meme that was like, if corporations are people too, which is the Hobby Lobby case. Yeah. Corporations are people too and shouldn't be forced to abide by equitably uh, equitable things like providing health care for all your employees. Um, then corporations should only get $1,200 stimulus package. Mm -hmm. Right. Ta-da! It's a great meme. <laughs> so um, too many of us in the United States are living under the false promise, uh, the, the false premise that we're, we're in a democracy. So uh. our political discussions are based on this premise, which is false. And proven false. Right. It's it's so... Um, like, I mean, here in Butte, I could vote on certain things. We're operating under another false premise that I often talk about, we often talk about on the show, which is that we have a functioning fourth estate. What's the fourth estate? Oh, that's the newspapers, right? Well, the fourth estate was supposed to be a check on the church and state powers in the form of a free press. Traditionally, that's what the fourth estate was supposed to be. So what's the first estate? Well, um, the church, uh, the state. Uh -huh. um, what is it, like the family? And the commons, right? So this is back from England. This Ooh. is from the commoners. What's so the it commons? would be the church, the state, and the commoners. Oh. The rabble. The civilians. The proletariat. Mm. And then the fourth estate is supposed to be the free press that allows All of voices those. to be amplified, mm -hmm. uh, critiques to be thrown out there, so on and so forth. Right. And then it's up to the people who read the press to decide what is... Right. Accurate, not accurate, what's debatable, you know, is this news or yeah. is this propaganda, mm -hmm. right? So uh, our major press outlets have become uh, compromised by co corporate control and dominance so that the narratives can no longer be framed for the enlightenment and benefit of the citizens. It's accurate to define what passes as quote-unquote news in general is actually more akin to infotainment and even more accurate to consider it as propaganda engineered to perpetuate oligarchical control of the planet. This is my perspective. 
And I think I can back. I, I know I can back it up with data, but we're not going to do it on today's show. We have the links, we have as the Arby links. says, and we can share them on our Post Orthodoxy Facebook page so that you too can have the links, or you could just Google it. So the fourth estate is supposed to ensure to keep these powers of church and state intact, mm-hmm. in, in, in check. Mm-hmm. We don't have that fourth estate anymore. We don't have a democratic republic, and we don't have a fourth estate. There's nobody keeping the information. That, who's creating the narratives? The corporations are creating the narratives with our mainstream news. What, what do you mean not, by the narratives? The narrative. So what is the narrative? Uh, we're going to get to that in a little bit. So zooming out and looking at the world through the lens that the fourth estate is no longer functioning and we are not a democratic republic. Looking through these lenses instead of the false and outdated perspectives, uh, we can gain new insights on the conditions that we are all living in. And I'm, just talk- I'm talking about us here in the United States, but also, civilians. but also the planet folk. Um, what, we, what should we be aware of to make informed choices for ourselves, our families, and our communities? Is it good mental hygiene to have our social media feeds filled with rancor and rage over uh, the discredited and dysfunctional political narratives? People think that they're being activists every time they spell check Donald Trump. And Ooh, they, you look, shared another horrible thing he did with his border wall. Good job. I'm sorry. I don't think it's that productive. In my opinion... Uh, watchdogging Donald Trump's spelling errors is not helping. Sharing the horrible things that he's doing with all the other people who already know he's a horrible person because guess what? Conservatives aren't following you. Right. So the, not, big, yeah. the big players in the game are not operating under the premise that they are actual representatives, nor do they believe the public relations narratives that they feed to a fake fourth estate. So in other words, the big players in politics so like the are not operating. The president... Uh, the senators that we know the names of, Nancy Pelosi, uh, Chuck Schumer. Oh, people um, being watched. The the big, the guys that are always on Fox News or mm-hmm. always on MSNBC, they are not operating under the premise that they are our representative. But they say they are. Well, that's the premise that we're operating under. The civilians think that Nancy Pelosi is of, representing the civilians. Yeah, a lot of people are working under that premise, but I don't believe that the folks who are the big players in politics are operating under that premise. Right. They are doing public relations. Someone they, can represent you by having similar beliefs to you, like uh, Democrats can feel that Nancy Pelosi ha- is representing them because she voices similar beliefs to Democrats. Or civilians. she opposes the bad guy, the quote unquote bad right. guys, which is whoever's on the other side of the aisle. And uh, conservatives can feel that Trump is representing them as a president because he is voicing the beliefs that they have. But that's that's that's, that's, that's a different kind bias. of that's a different yeah. kind of representing than literally doing what you want your what the civilians have voted for you to do. Right. So those big political players are, they have, they know that I, I'm, in my perspective, they know they're working for the oligarchs. In they your- know that they are the ones that are feeding these narratives through the media outlets that are owned by the oligarchs. In your perspective, Nancy Pelosi knows that she's making the civilians think that she's working for them, but she is actually working for the money. Well, she became a hundred millionaire as a public servant. What? Hundred millionaire. Hundred million? Yeah, over a hundred million dollars as a term as a public servant. And of course it has nothing to do with her being a senator. It just they just happen to figure out some things before the rest of us do and become hundred millionaire. Right. So 
I propose that the big stories of the day, the breaking news, are not as important as they are presented to be. I think that there are more pressing items that are not being debated and discussed, but actually have that they that actually have more direct and immediate impact on our lives. Uh, how much do you know about the fourth industrial revolution? I, I, I know it has. To We've do with been the term, going down the road the a term bit. Internet of yeah. Things, right? I know that the first industrial revolution was coal. Yeah, I'm going to read a little bit. We're going to walk through it. Okay, cool. And I guess I would ask the audience, how much do you know about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, um, which is underway. It's being implemented at this moment. Happening now. And is actively reshaping reality. I'm not just talking about policy. It's reshaping reality Mm -hmm. as we have known it into something that we would probably do well to start grappling with if we haven't done it yet. We did not elect the architects of our new reality. We, the civilians of the planet, did not choose the people who are creating the world of tomorrow. That's correct. Uh, we funded their ascension uh, with, with our labor and our ignorance of what they're doing. And unfortunately, a lot of it is willful ignorance due to our confirmation bias and our desire to just keep confirming our own biases. So uh, the World Economic Forum, I don't know if you've heard of the World Economic Forum. It's a name that sounds like it's legitimate. Uh describes the fourth industrial revolution. So this is their interpretation of the fourth industrial revolution. They did not invent this term, I don't, I don't believe. The World Economic Forum did not invent the fourth industrial revolution term. But they are going to break it down for us right here in, okay. their, in their perspective. Who is the World Economic Forum? Uh, it's a forum of economic for the world. I don't know. Okay. It's a um, global stakeholders. They like to use that term, global stakeholders. Hmm. The forum is for global stakeholders, people who have a stake in the world. I see. So this is what they're, this is how they're describing the fourth industrial revolution. We stand on the brink of a technological revolution that will fundamentally alter the way we live, work, and relate to one another. In its scale, scope, and complexity, the transformation will be unlike anything humankind has experienced before. We do not yet know just how it will unfold, but one thing is clear. The response to it must be integrated and comprehensive, involving all stakeholders of the global polity. Mm, hmm, Polity. That's interesting phrasing. Polity. That sounds like politics. Well, from the public and private sectors to academia and civil society. Mm. So they're saying they're including everybody. The first industrial revolution used water and steam power to mechanize production. The second industrial revolution used electric power to create mass production. The third industrial revolution used electronics and information technology to automate production. Now a fourth industrial revolution is building on the third, the digital revolution, that has been occurring since the middle of the last century. It is characterized by a fusion of technologies that is blurring the lines between the physical, digital, and biological spheres. So what they're saying is the world is changing. It's going to be unrecognizable from where we are today. And yet I see my friends who claim to be really active in politics talking about Trump's uh, misspellings not dealing with the train that is coming down the tracks, which is going to change reality for every human, every being on this planet. Well, I feel it sounds like that's, like that's what they're saying. 
like to be to be in defense of the people who yeah. are traumatized by the current political climate on both sides. Good point. Um, on both sides, people are traumatized yes. by what's going on in this country and the different parties that are trying to do things that affect my life. I think it makes sense in an evolutionary perspective to to if you feel attacked closer to home, you're not going to be getting involved in stuff going on out there. Mm-mm. I think that's kind of if you want to look at it from a more meta conspiratorial perspective. Yeah, I would say that would be kind of the point. The well, more people feel focused on what's going on close to my cave and keeping my family and my food safe, the less they're going to be involved in what's going on in the globe. What I see in my Facebook feed, metaphorically speaking, are people who are concerned about the squirrel getting in the bird feeder when there is a hurricane barreling down the street. That's what it looks like to you. That's what it looks like to me. Mm-hmm. We're focused on the wrong problems, as far as I'm concerned, because I think all that other stuff is going to be moot. Right. Our, 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 what, what the World Economic Forum is saying And we can go read that. Everything, yeah, and we're going to send you links. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you can look up the World Economic Forum. I shared a link in our feed. Look up the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Weforum.org. Yep. So I know it feels good to roll around in partisan catnip and to confirm prescribed biases that we have taken on as identity. And I think a lot of our identity is through cultural conditioning and meme warfare. Meme warfare. Yeah. And I don't think it's working out for us very well, frankly. Just fighting each other with witty pictures? Yeah. Shocking. Uh, Our politics, our politics, the ones, uh, the kind that we often take for granted as the mechanism by which we have influence on our world is not shaping the world as much as the fourth industrial revolution is shaping politics. So we elect representatives to represent us. Here in the U.S. But the system is being shaped that political system is mm-hmm. being shaped by, by people we have not elected by the engineers of the fourth industrial revolution. So how much influence does your vote have when you're, when you're playing a rigged game? It seems like the focus needs to change for me Our that we, we would be, we would do better to zoom out a little bit mm past the bird feeder and the squirrel that's eating our bird seed right. and look at the hurricane coming down the road and maybe do a different kind of prep. Right. Because I don't think the prep is is really, it might make us feel good to do these things. To protect ourselves from the squirrel. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, cur- the current political climate in the U.S. is so all-encompassing for some people that that's the only thing that they've been thinking about or working on for four years, as if the U.S. is just is the whole planet. There's so much more going on on the planet that we, as the civilians of the planet, could be getting involved with and working on with each other. The Fourth Our- Industrial Revolution is, is not an easily digestible news item. No. It's a whole zeitgeist. Our friend Youngblood chatting on Twitch said, yes, this is happening behind our backs. Yeah. The quantum internet is being erected as we speak by yeah. Elon Musk. It will be... Cha- it Among will ch- others. It will change our world and we need to have a say in it. We need an internet bill of rights. Well, but Trump... <laughs> Joe Biden's going to save us from Trump. We just had to focus on crawling over broken glass for a mile and standing eight hours in the rain to vote Trump out. I'm so tired of seeing that meme. <laughs> I'm so dumb. It's, it's like so, Ugh. I'm so done with it. There's so much more going on on the planet. So, But even, this, what yeah. is this internet bill, I want to honor the people that are participating yes. in our conversation this afternoon. Okay. Because we, we've got We've asked for an our hour. feedback, yeah. We've got an hour to fill still. Yeah. Um, so the quantum internet is another thing that's just happening to the planet. The quantum internet. 
and the yeah. Internet of Things, which is all folded into this fourth industrial revolution. That there we're are various about. people who are sending satellites into space. So we are going to have an amplified amount of satellites orbiting the planet that's going to increase the connectivity all over the planet. Mm-hmm. It used to be if you wanted to go off grid, you could ditch your phone, ditch your landline, ditch your all your credit cards and stuff and go live completely self-sufficiently in the woods with water power for your electricity. Uh, that's not going to be possible. Everybody born after us will not know what a static sky looks like. No. You can um, look up at like 930 in the wintertime. Here in Montana, it's hard to see because it's still light out until 11 in the summer. Right. But in the wintertime, you can look up and you'll be seeing more this fall than we saw last fall. Yeah, but the, there are just the boop, strings boop, of satellites, boop, 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 yeah. lines of satellites going across the night sky. So and that's not happening because the civilians of the planet decided to make it happen. We want that. It's no. happening because people with money and power on the planet decided to make that happen. These are not people that you voted for. We didn't pick somebody to go no. and send millions, hundreds of satellites up into the sky so that we could all be connected all the time. So as a part of the fourth industrial revolution, oddly enough, also you can find information on this on the World Economic Forum website. There's a thing called the Great Reset. <laughs> that sounds a little scary or exciting. I'm not sure. The Great Reset. <laughs> uh, this is something that... Back in 94, there was a thing called Agenda 21, which was a UN United initiative, Nations. a non-binding UN initiative. Let's just do it. That said, maybe we should be sustainable. Maybe we should not sacrifice the health of our communities, the health of our environment for economic gain. And that sounds good. Right. Right. Uh when you start looking up Agenda 21, there's a lot of folks that, you know, I consider myself a conspiracy analyst more so than a conspiracy theorist. Well, only because the term conspiracy theory has be, has been turned into a derogatory term when, right. in fact, there are conspiracies happening and people are theorizing about them. Right. To go back to the Fourth Industrial Revolution, when you go to the World Economic Forum and you start reading what they're saying and you look at their videos where they're describing what the fourth industrial what the fourth industrial revolution has in store for mm-hmm. us we're not we're not having a lot of say in this as the regular folk of the planet but what they're saying is it sounds good on the surface and i would like to think it is good i would like to think that we could deal with poverty issues we mm-hmm. could deal with economic issues that are causing poverty we could be dealing with our environmental issues and still have something to eat and still have enough money to go out and play mm-hmm. we it seems like we sh- we should be able to do this it would be nice to think that the people with the money and the power want that to happen for the people that don't have the money and the power so it's a matter of just trusting that the architects of the fourth industrial revolution want the same things that I want because there doesn't seem to be any way to, you can't vote the architects of the fourth industrial revolution out of office. Right. They have too much money and too much power. The oligarchs have too much money and too much power for us to influence them. Yeah. A metaphor that I used a lot around the time when we were talking about Bernie more often, uh, Bernie Sanders more often, a metaphor that I used a lot was, I remember that guy. Yeah. Wow. That was so long ago. Um, was uh, a lot of people think about the planet as if there's the citizens of each country and then there's the rulers of each country, the elected officials or the monarchy or whatever it is, and that's where the planet stops. It starts with kings, 
presidents, et cetera, and then goes down to elected officials and then goes down to citizens. And that's how it's arranged. Mm. But it's actually more like each country on the planet is a department store in a mall. Mm. And every department store in the mall has its fans and its employees and its managers and it sells products to the people that like to go to that department store but it also has to pay rent and abide by the rules of the mall yeah and the planet is the mall oh well that's what i that's what i find really interesting they're talking about the fourth industrial revolution and they're framing the planet in business terms Global like, stakeholders. We have lived uh, on a planet for a long time without business. Uh, for a long time, there were cultures, and there were arts, there were humanities. Right. I'm not seeing a lot of those phrases used in this economic model of our future. Right. Although Everything they did seems say, to be they did business say in terms. There, didn't they say in there that we don't want economic progress to get in the way of social well-being? That's what they say. But who's to determine what social well-being is? Right, and how who much decides what the well-being is? These are the things that I think are worth discussing, and I'm not going to say that the World Economic Forum is a bunch of evil geniuses. I don't know them. <laughs> I don't know them, and I do like the idea. Like just looking at the surface, mm-hmm. I like the idea of a saner planet, something a little closer to a Star Trek reality, yeah. where we evolve our sense. Right now, this country has become uh, a little closer to uh, post-industrial than fourth-industrial. Like fourth-industrial, we're we're rolling out the technology, but we are not, as a society, Americans, U.S. citizens, we are not, as a society, ready to utilize the new tools that are being rolled out. Our education system isn't ready for it. We're still using an industrial, like first industrial revolution education system. Right. No, that's true. That's one of the big things that I I always get on the universe's case about, I guess, or the country, is that our current educational system of K through 12, people divided into classes, 30 kids to a teacher sitting at desks and performing homework and standing in lines, was invented and constructed during the first industrial revolution when we really needed people to transition from working in farms to being good factory workers and we're still using that educational system today i'm going to share a link with our yeah. with our live streamers and i'll tell people on the radio about it you can look up the youtube video i sued the school system and it's a really fantastic spoken word piece about how ridiculous it is that we are still making kids stand in line and complete homework and tests when what we need now is individualism and education and innovation. Right, we need some innov- and we're not going to do it in our current system. We have a factory worker school system and we're trying to get innovators out of a factory worker school system. All our politicians that we're talking the big the big players that I'm talking about, they are not talking about the fourth industrial revolution. They are still pandering to people who are living in a first and in- <laughs> first and second industrial revolution <sighs> mindset. They know about the fourth industrial revolution. Nancy Pelosi knows mm-hmm. about the fourth industrial Re- revolution. Joe Biden knows about the fourth industrial revolution. They're not talking to us about it because just like you must not do your own research, they are not going to inform us of the situation because they are built, their power is built on our ignorance at this point, unfortunately. So it was, it's not going to benefit them to upset their own apple cart no. by telling us that the premise, 
that we are working under to get them elected is false. Yes, because they want to continue to be in power. That makes sense. Right. So the World Economic Forum is all about the Great Reset, this thing called the Great Reset, uh, which I believe is an extension of what used to be called Agenda 21. Agenda 21 is now like Agenda 2030. Oh, they, they decided it? that the 20th century, uh, th- their early goal was was not going to be met. Being sustainable was not going to be met in the time frame they originally thought mm. of in 1994. Oh, was it supposed to be 2021? It was supposed to be 21st century, I think, Agenda uh, 21. That's too bad. Uh, 20, now they're <laughs> shooting for 2030 to get us sustainable and sane. Right. If according we, to the World Economic Forum's models of what sustainable and sane. If we changed a few things, we wouldn't burn the planet down. Right. So also from the World Economic Forum, they're going to give us the context and the opportunity presented by the Great Reset. So I'm going to I'm going to quote this is quote from the World Economic Forum. The COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision making. So they're talking about the coronavirus. Yes. We were talking about the coronavirus doing that months ago. Yes. The, uh, the opportune moment, as Jack Sparrow says in Pirates of the Caribbean. The, the Kairos. Moment, the Kairos. The, the, Things are changing and we could start doing stuff differently right now. In the span of Kronos, there is the Kairos. There are moments where opportunities to change occur, where, where uh, opportunities are greater than other times. Right. When we've Things upset, being shaken when up. We've shaken up everything right now with this COVID-19 thing. And we can go down that road. I'm going to read something from somebody else. And and I think my tone so far has not been critical of the uh, World Economic Forum. Yeah. I'm being as agnostic as I know how to be. I think you're being uh, healthfully skeptical? I'm being healthfully, uh, yeah. But right? I, we're spo- we're, don't stop trusting people. Okay. <laughs> Guys. So anyway, stop the context, the COVID-19 crisis and the political, economic, and social disruptions it has caused is fundamentally changing the traditional context for decision-making. That's a mouthful on its own. Litter, litter, litter. The inconsistencies, inadequacies, and contradictions of multiple systems, they're talking about the world, I guess, mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. health and financial to energy and education are more exposed than ever amidst a global context of concern for lives, livelihoods, and the planet. Leaders find themselves at a historic crossroads, managing short-time pressures against medium and long-term uncertainties. So this is the context for the Great Reset. Now they're going to talk about the opportunity for the Great Reset. We are in the midst of an opportunity right now. As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future. Anybody determining the future of the planet. Of FYI, it might not be us. Or it might. Yeah. Right? As we enter a unique window of opportunity to shape the recovery, this initiative will offer insights to help inform all those determining the future state of global relations, the direction of national economics, the priorities of societies, the nature of business models, and the management of global com- of a global commons. Drawing from the vision and vast expertise of the leaders engaged across the forum's communities, the Great Reset Initiative has a set of dimensions to build a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. That sounds so nice. Doesn't that sound nice? 
I want to honor the dignity of every human being. This is the Kairos that we talked about at the beginning of the lockdown. Uh, the I guess. Yeah, the window of opportunity is being seized by the World Economic Forum. I guess it wouldn't be very honoring of every human being to take one of of Jeff Bezos's billion dollars and end world homelessness because it wouldn't be very honoring of him. Well, he to still, take his money and save millions of people's lives. These are the questions that I have. Bezos is a part of the old order, right? His wealth was built on the old order. In a Star Trek uh, future that they're talking, they're talking about a Star Trek future, right? They're talking about equity. Uh, and that we can all have a good time. That's what mm -hmm. they're saying. Now, we'll see how it plays out, I guess. Or are we going to get involved with it? Can we be in the... Who's the World Economic Forum? That's a good question. Who are you, these people? Well, I signed up today. I, I joined the World Economic Forum. Well, I, I access to their website so you can get more information. Even more. You can go okay. to the World Economic Forum and get uh, some information from them. Weforum.org. Yeah. Uh... I accept your cookies. I'm going to see, yeah, how do I be a part of it? Uh, I just, I gave him my email address and now I can access more information. And does that, so just <laughs> hearing about what's happening does not actually mean you're involved in creating what's happening. They're asking for feedback. They also strongly encourage me to use my business email. Really? Yeah. When I put in my email, they're like, we strongly encourage you to use your business email. So I use my business email. That's so fascinating. Because it's the World Economic Forum and they're Star Trek and they're going to take care of every human being. They're going to honor the every, dignity. So they probably wanted to know if you have a Microsoft Office Suite email. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, no, 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 your business, as in the business where you work for someone else to make someone else money business. Well, um, I'm having a hard time finding out how I, okay, members and partners. So you could be a partner or a member, I guess. Strategic partners area. Mm. I'm going to look at the strategic partners. Toplink.weforum.org. So Discover, contribute, lead. Okay, I'll join. Is the future going to be purely a business decision or a life decision? And is that a choice exclusive? Do we have to separate business from life? Did they, they say the that or did you say that? Well, no, that's what I'm saying. What, right do, you mean, now, what do you mean by business? So they're saying basically this is what the conspiracy folk have been talking about for 30 years. This is the one world mm -hmm. government. This is the one world order. So they're talking about a global currency. Getting rid of the dollar, getting rid of the dinar, getting rid of the pound, and having a global currency. That's, that's part of the... I feel like part that of, sounds nice. Right. Because that, then we won't the, have all this stupid inflation stuff from country to country. Right? Um, I, I, like, that's a parallel conversation mm, to the conversation yeah. of if Germany harnesses all their wind and Spain harvests all their sun and we have an international electricity grid, we could all have plenty of power all the time. That's what they're talking about. Except with currency. So if it was just all the same, then it would be more equal, right? Well, and then I start thinking about all the utopian sci-fi films that I've watched where everybody's wearing the, the exact same kind of tunic. And, and I start freaking out about sameness. Right. The, the, the childhood Republican in me comes out. Here is something that, you know, I've been, I've been looking at this World Economic Forum, the idea of uh, a sane world, and the, the world that is being painted by the World Economic Forum, which I find intriguing. 
Mm. And it reminds me of this guy named Muammar Gaddafi. So wait, it, Gaddafi. Gaddafi, Arr. yeah. Gaddafi, Hussein, and so Osama. He's the guy that Hillary Clinton laughed about killing when she was um, head of the State Department here in the U.S. I just know he's bad. She came, she saw, he died. Ha, 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 ha. That's the famous quote from uh, Hillary Clinton. Wow. Because they used Gaddafi as a boogeyman for years and years and years. Uh, they used him for a lot of different reasons. So, so what you're saying Gaddafi is... Gaddafi was the head of Libya. Okay. And this is what was happening under Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. In uh, Libya. In Libya before they, before he was killed by the United States. So the United States killed Gaddafi, and we were told that it was because Gaddafi's a bad guy. Bad guy. But here's what was happening under Gaddafi. Free health care, free electricity, interest-free loans. Newlyweds received $50,000 to find a home. Mothers received $5,000 on the birth of a child. Citizens received a percentage of all oil sales. And huh. petrol was 0.14 cents per liter. The government paid 50% of the price of your car. Unemployed Libyans received the average salary for their profession in benefits. If they were, yeah, if they were unemployed, they got their actual salary while they were unemployed. So since we've taken out Libya, now they're doing open slave markets in the streets. They're selling humans for as little as... Since we've taken out Gaddafi. Since we've taken out Gaddafi. Now we're selling humans for about 200 bucks. I think you can get a bargain on, on the weekends. So that's correlatory data. So I don't know if, like, the World Economic Forum seems to be talking about what Gaddafi was doing, how to share in the wealth. Mm. It doesn't seem to be what the U.S. model has been doing. The U.S. model is... That the- may be why we're not hearing about the fourth industrial revolution in this country. Now, is it a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Who's running it? Who's running it? Who's making the choices? Whose idea of equity are we going to be uh, dealing with? Right. So it gets us into... Oh, we should maybe take a break real quick and let our folks know what they're listening to, how they're listening to it, and then come back and and then we're going to go further in the next hour. I'm excited. This is a lot. And I hope you and our dear listeners know that I'm I'm playing, I'm playing, I don't want to say playing the fool. What's it called when you act, you act like you don't know things? Oh, foil? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I know that I had hardly ever heard about a lot of these things until recently. And I know a lot of my dear loved ones and our dear listeners hadn't heard about most of these things. No. And so I don't want you to be frustrated, dear co-host, by me constantly asking questions for clarification. No, that's, um, I take things for granted that I've been studying for a Everybody long time. Everybody knows about Citizens United. Well, <laughs> maybe some folks don't, I guess. I think a lot of people don't know. I would think everybody <laughs> should know about the Fourth Industrial Revolution, but apparently a lot of folks don't. So that's right. why we're having the show. And thank you for 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 um, clarifying things. We're all working together here. We're going to be back in just a, a moment. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. For more information about Dark and Ainsley and on our social media linkage, visit betati.me online. That's betati.me. Post-orthodoxy. Post-orthodoxy. An outpost in the borderlands. What's outside your reality bubble? Now, back to our show. I love that bubble effect. Mm. <laughs> 
got to work on that mid-tro again. Yeah, you know. some wonky levels. This is community radio, okay? All right, so I wanted to talk about uh, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Great Reset, as topics that I am not going to fully be able to lay out for everybody because I am still trying to understand them myself. And that's okay. I think they are topics that I think should be of interest to folks who consider themselves um, concerned about the world that they live in, the society that they live in. People who want to know where we're going and want to be a part of where we're going might want to know what's coming down the road. What we do here on post-orthodoxy a lot of the time is just open doors. We're just walking down a hallway and we're opening doors and saying, here's a door you could go through. Here's a door you could go through. We spend a lot of time researching what's behind these doors. And you could too if you want to. We're not claiming to know everything. And as I've said before, it's not easy to find reliable information. Mm-mm. We got What does the Bible say? You got to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Something Don't like trust anyone. Stop trying to find someone to trust. Including the Bible. Don't trust us. <laughs> You can't trust us. You can listen to what we're saying. You can like or dislike what we're saying. You can prove or disprove what we're saying. But you shouldn't just trust what we're saying. You should go and confirm what we're saying, too. I like that we call ourselves an outpost in the borderlands. And there's that big post outside the post, which says uh, new information this way, this way, this way, this way. It's like one of those street signs. Things that you might want to know about. Yeah. So I'm going to go a little further. Since I've introduced the idea of the Fourth Industrial Revolution and the Great Reset, things that I think... If you're a concerned a citizen of the planet, right, you you might want to go do some research on. There's plenty of information out there. You do have to do the work to to um, find it. Don't just look at the World Economic Forum's version of it. Don't just look at Infowars version of it. Don't just look at Wikipedia's version. Don't just look at the, the United Nations version of it. Speaking of Wikipedia. <laughs> How much do you know about Purdue, uh, Purdue University's synthetic environment for analysis and simulations? None. I don't think many people know about that. This is Who going is to be... Purdue University? Are uh, they a big one? Like, yeah, they're a big one. Like uh, like Harvard? Lu Yang went to Purdue. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, Purdue University's synthetic environment for analysis and simulations, also called SEAS, S-E-A-S. And an aspect of that which is called the sentient world simulation. Hmm. Let's talk about those things. Those are a lot of big words. In relation to the fourth industrial revolution. Very good. So I'm going to read from Wikipedia about what the synthetic environment for analysis and simulations Which is a great means. launch platform. Yeah. Written by civilians. Written by civilians. Fact-checked by civilians. Right. And then you can go and look up other fact-checking sites. Right. So the the synthetic environment for analysis and simulations is currently being used by Homeland Security and the U.S. Defense Department to simulate crises on the U.S. mainland. SEAS enables researchers, and this is a quote, enables researchers and organizations to try out their models or techniques in a publicly known realistically detailed environment. It is now capable of running real-time simulations for up to 62 nations, including Iraq, Afghanistan, and China. The simulations gobble up breaking news, census data, economic indicators, and climatic events in the real world, along with proprietary information such as military intelligence. The Iraq and Afghanistan computer models are the most highly developed and complex of the 62 available to JFCOM J9. I don't even know what that is. Each has about 5 million individual nodes 
representing things such as hospitals, mosques, pipelines, and people. Each what? Each simulation? These nodes. Uh, They're just talking about specifically Iraq and Afghanistan, the models that they're using. Gotcha. Seas was developed to help Fortune 500 companies with strategic planning. Then it was used to help recruiting commanders to strategize ways to improve recruiting potential soldiers. Oh, boy. In 2004, Seas was evaluated for its ability to help simulate the non-kinetic aspects of combat... Things like diplomatic, economic, political, infrastructure, and social issues. What does that mean to you? Non-kinetic aspects of combat makes me think not the shooting part. Right. And when they say it was used to help recruiters find more soldiers, that makes me a little frustrated. And businesses, Fortune 500 companies. Right. So it started off as a model to help rich companies make more money. Yes. And then it was moved to a model to help uh, militaries recruit more soldiers. So Specific for this new world that they're creating. Right. So yeah. that makes me, I mean, like militaries, uh, recruiters already know that if you go to an impoverished area, you're going to get more soldiers out of it because those kids don't have access to money for college or money to move out of yeah. the hometown they grew up in. Right. Um, so that makes me feel a little iffy about this already. Um, and then it switched to being used for war games. Can you read the last sentence? Uh, I'll read the last little paragraph here. Seas was developed to help Fortune 500 companies with strategic planning. Then it was used to help recruiting commanders to strategize ways to improve recruiting potential soldiers. In 2004, Seas was evaluated for its ability to help simulate the non-kinetic aspects of combat. Things like the diplomatic economic, political, infrastructure, and social issues. But as those things relate to combat. Wow. Exactly. It sounds like what's going on in Seattle and Portland and Minneapolis. Money first, military second. Yeah. Yeah. And then some more military. And then some more. So uh, let's read a little bit about the sentient world simulation, which is an aspect of seas. All right. Uh, The sentient world. World simulation is the name given to the current vision of making seas a continuously running, continually updated mirror model of the real world that can be used to predict and evaluate future events and courses of action. This sounds like uh, that Westworld program, like that big round ball in Westworld. Right. It sounds like they built that. So they basically took all the data that's available about the planet, of which there is a lot. I mean, you're... you're, you're every moment updating with every... Like every Facebook post you make, every right. event that happens in our town. Every purchase. Yes. Uh, so that's really fascinating. Anytime somebody checks into a business or um, anything that you're doing that's on a network. Yeah. So all of that data is being put into a simulation. Yes. And then... People who have access to that simulation can run scenarios to see if their hypothetical scenario would benefit them. Which it sounds like it's the Fortune 500 companies in the military. Well, it sounds like that that simulation ought to be available to like climate control experts. Yeah. And like people trying to end world poverty. All right. I'm going to get into something a little tricky here now. Oh, now we're getting into something tricky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been trying to be... Uh, so 
I found out about the sentient world simulation because I am a conspiracy analyst, and I do like to sniff around the fringes of what's going on informationally in my world. Especially as uh, as the years go by, things that you used to conspiracy analyze are being proven true over and over again. The point of the show, post-orthodoxy, is to deal with orthodoxies and how to go past them, the, the phenomena around them, around orthodoxies, uh, when their usefulness wears out also is a big part. Mm-hmm. Fundamentalisms, dogmas, these are the kind of things that are useful to a point for some people, and then they stop being useful for other people, mm-hmm. and they have to break. Dogmas break. At one point, it was a dogma that uh, you could burn a witch. We don't burn witches the way we used to. Right. Uh, At one point, it was an orthodoxy that the earth was being orbited by the sun. That was an orthodoxy. Yes. And if you, uh, you could get burned for saying that was untrue. Or completely canceled out of your scientific career. True. And people are getting canceled out of their scientific careers right now for for breaking with orthodoxies. Right. Um, Some of them probably should be canceled out. Some of them, maybe not. Some people are building the new orthodoxies that we will have to cancel out later on. But (laughs) people who like confirmation bias are probably not going to like our show because we don't always confirm their biases, nor do I always confirm my biases. Sometimes I think it's important to go into unorthodox perspectives, not to say that that perspective is correct, but to add a different angle of perception to current situations that we are we often see all the time. Mm-hmm. There is a website called Peace of Mindful, or P-O-M for short. Uh, I found some cat named Tyrone. Peace of Mindful. Yeah. Uh, and Tyrone is sharing a piece called COVID-19, A New Superimposed Reality. This guy has put together something that is a hypothetical. Tyrone is talking about a theory he has. Well, Tyrone is sharing Steffers, S-T-E-P-H-E-R-S. He's a commenter on Peace of Mind, or Peace of Mindful. So he shared Steffers' post. Okay. Uh, so we've already gotten like three degrees out from, I don't know who these people are. Right. And it doesn't matter because I like pros. And it's okay to read stuff as long as you acknowledge, I don't know the source of this information. I don't know the source of this information. I don't know who Steffers is. I yeah. don't know who Tyrone is. But I am a person who likes to... Read things. Go into some stuff. Yeah. So... I'm going to read some of this. Again, this is a hypothetical for this cat. Uh, What follows is hypothetical. Technocratic plutocrats seem to think this way. Hypothetical. Back in 2015, Bill Gates listed his top favorite book picks of the year. Two were How to Lie with Statistics by Daryl Huff and... (laughs) The next book is, one of the other ones was What If by Randall Monroe. There's a chapter in What If called Common Cold by Sarah Ewart. The hypothetical question posed is quite timely. If everyone on the planet stayed away from each other for a couple of weeks, wouldn't the common cold be wiped out? Mm. It then follows, would it be worth it? To wipe out the common cold. Yeah, if we just... Stop dealing with each other, each individual, stop dealing with all the other people, 
the common cold, that's the premise. That's the, the question that they're posing is if we stop dealing with each other, could we wipe out the, the coronavirus, the common cold coronavirus? Right, because the common cold is caused by coronaviruses and rhinoviruses. Right. And if we did that, would it be worth doing that? So this is the question that is posed in this book that Bill Gates um, would said that is one of his favorite books. significantly improve the experience of life for the majority right. of humans on the planet if we all stayed away from each other to kill the coronavirus or the rhinovirus right. or whatever. So Randall Monroe's book, What If, seems to just be posting some hypothetical situations to explore them. It seems like an intellectual exercise. Uh, Bill Gates is a super high IQ guy. Mm -hmm. I imagine he likes those kind of exercises. Yeah. So the author considers the practical consequences of this kind of quarantine. As he says... The world's total annual economic output is in the neighborhood of 80 trillion, which suggests that interruption of all economic activity for a few weeks would cost many trillions of dollars. The shock of to the system, who? I don't know, the shock of the system from the worldwide pause could easily cause a global economic collapse. Monroe concludes at the end of the chapter in addition to probably causing the collapse of civilization, Sarah's plan wouldn't eradicate rhinoviruses. Used as example by Monroe as an RNA virus typically causing the common cold. He continues, however, this might be for the best. Their absence might be worse. It's possible that these mild infections serve to train and calibrate our immune systems, which is what we've been talking about on the show a lot. Mm -hmm. Half of our genetic code is, half of it is informed by viral information. There's such a thing called the microbiome, which is yes. all of the parts of a human body that are not that human's genetic material. If you took all of the parts of you that are made up of bacteria, viruses, germs, and other microbes out of your body, it'd be about five pounds. And that's the stuff that's living inside you or inside of you. Or in your genes. The, the, um, our genetic information which is our DNA, mm -hmm. about half of that has been informed by viruses. What makes you look and act like you. Right. Is so, not just your two parents and your grandparents. So from a uh, natural biological perspective, we need viruses to be who we are and to continue being who we are. So what you're saying is if we took a different perspective on viruses, you know, yeah. I think it's really interesting to kind of swerve out and swerve back in again. Yeah. I think it's really interesting because as a person who grew up really fundamentalist conservative and has now transitioned to a perspective on the universe that is more liberal than conservative, I, I you know, I juggle both of those worldviews all the time because I have friends and loved ones on both quote unquote sides. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really interesting because one of the biggest derogatory things going around in the Democrat community these days about the Republicans is how Republicans care more about individuality and individual expression and freedom in life than they do about society as a whole. And the Republicans are like, Democrats are socialists because they want us all to dress the same and work the same and have the same stuff. Right. And so there's like this war, this perceptual war, this mm -hmm. perception between Team Red and Team Blue, that Team Red is all about individuals and Team Blue is all about the community together or socialism, if you look at it that way, or, uh, yeah, anyway. So, and, and when you look at that in the broad scope of the whole planet and the broad scope of human history, as we know it, and the broad scope of life on earth, as we know it, mm, mm. uh, which if you believe in evolution, life on earth was going on long before the humans arrived, mm. uh, then 
we could maybe step out of our own skins for a second and stop me. I Ainsley could stop being terrified of me Ainsley dying. Right. And look at how viruses actually work in the environment and evolutionarily and what their actual function is. They might function in such a way that my grandma dies. Right. But that is not the virus being a bad thing that kills my grandma. Right. The virus came along to do a function and unfortunately, my grandma's body and her immune system couldn't handle it. She didn't get the upgrade. She couldn't. Her hardware couldn't handle the software upgrade. Right. And also that's something old. that happens. Right. And if we, if we, you know, like Democrats like to think of themselves as like all team playery, but they're team playery because they also don't want to die. So I'm going to go back to this little essay, this little hypothetical. So Bill Gates's favorite book of 2014 or whatever it was. Right. Uh, here's another hypothetical, superimposing something over reality. Let's say various strains of coronavirus have spread across the world and infected millions. Which they have. Hundreds of thousands are under the threat of death. Mm. However, compare that to reality. Mm. There are coronaviruses. Yes. They belong to the family coronaviridae. Millions of people die every year and many more millions get sick. There has never been any proof i.e. through Koch's postulate, that a coronavirus has caused a single death. Despite the propaganda represented by risk communication, false statistics, and fake anecdotal narratives reported in the news media. This is our current reality. A hypothetical narrative has been superimposed linking a novel coronavirus with widespread sickness and death on a global scale. Wait, when did he write this? This is the, the cat who is talking about the hypothetical. He's already done the part of the book. Mm. And now he, whoever Stephens is. So this is Stephens being is. written currently right now. Yeah, this came out. What does uh, he mean a coronavirus has never killed someone? What he's saying is the virus comes in and then we get sick. So like you don't die of coronavirus. Mm. You die of pneumonia. Pneumonia. You die of diabetic shock. You die of various things. You don't die from the... The virus comes in. Viruses don't kill people. And then we die from some other thing. Right? Right. That's why most of the people, the vast, vast majority of people are dying, are people who got the virus and then died from some condition, often the condition they had before they had the virus. Such as hypertension, which yes. is like 55% of the U.S. Right. So this is what he's talking about, and this is what he's working on with his uh, this guy Stuffers, with his uh, sentient world simulation. Mm. This is what he's talking about. And I'm going to get more into the guy that coined that term and what he's talking about. The sentient world simulation. COVID-19, and this is according to this cat, and again, I don't necessarily agree with this perspective or disagree with this perspective. Right. I'm just sharing a non-orthodox perspective. As in not the same thing everybody's saying. Right. So from this guy's perspective, COVID-19 is a fictitious and facetious disorder superimposed on society. It's being used to create an artificial scenario which serves as a sentient world simulation. Granted, there are many other agendas being simultaneously achieved. Most of them have been covered by researchers all around on the internet. I sense a number of red herrings, typically in any PSYOP. Those who planned it want to keep us chasing details diving into rabbit holes, 
keeping us from moving forward and missing the big picture. Thus, we have discussions of bioweapons, errant comets, and cytokine storms. Cytokine storms? I don't know. That's a lot of words for I me. know. So what he's saying is the sentient world simulation. I'm going to go further and talk about uh, the guy who coined this term. Okay. This guy, Steffers, is going to uh, walk us up to it. He says, we are currently living in a society over which has been superimposed a fictional overlay. It's much like the hybrid film combining live reality and computer-generated reality, such as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Sentient World Simulation, Dr. Elok Chaturvedi, is the founder of the, and director of the Seas Laboratory, as well as the technical lead for the Sentient World Simulation Project initiated by U.S. Joint Forces Command. So wait, what he's saying with the, like the Who Framed Roger Rabbit thing, yeah. is he's, like, he's saying there are some things that are actually happening, Yes, and that's the real people being filmed in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. And then there's a story about what it all means... That changes your perspective of the movie, which is all the animated characters in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, in as a metaphor, so, it well, would be a different movie if we took all the animated characters out. The actors in the movie are responding to things that were never there. Right. The animation was added later, but there was an overlay mm -hmm. happening to our perspective in real time. But to the actors, yeah. Okay. So. Um, Dr. Chatterverdi's research is focused on virtual environments for business strategies. This approach covers the domain of artificial intelligence, computational ecology, and enterprise integration for business war games. Dr. Chatterverdi, his concept paper in 2006, this is the doctor himself who invented this sentient world simulation. This is him describing. Gotcha. The goal of the sentient world simulation is to build a synthetic mirror of the real world with automated continuous calibration with respect to current real world information such as major events, opinion polls, demographics, statistics, economic reports, and shifts in trends. The ability of a synthetic model of the real world to sense, adapt, and react to real events distinguishes SWS from traditional approach of constructing a simulation to illustrate a phenomena. Behaviors emerge in the SWS mirror world and are observed much as they are observed in the real world. Basing the synthetic world in theory in a matter that is unbiased to specific outcomes offers a unique environment in which to develop, test, and prove new perspectives. SWS consists of components capable of capturing new events as they occur anywhere in the world, Focus on any local area of the synthetic world offers uh, sufficient detail. In other words, the set of models that make up the synthetic environment encompass the behavior of individuals, organizations, institutions, infrastructures, and geographies while simultaneously capturing the trends emerging from the interaction among entities as well as between entities and the environment. So I feel like we're beating a dead horse a little bit here. Okay. Like, we've said that already. Okay. Or maybe that's just not weird to me because I'm only 32. Sent, sent this, right. The concept of a... Sent, like, I feel like they're saying over and over and over again, we made an AI version of Earth. 
And that's that's like I so feel like we guy, could, like he could just say so. Some people with power and money have made an AI version of Earth, and they use it to predict which decisions will be a good decision or not. So that's his paper from 2006, and okay. it was a concept paper in 2006. Sentient world simulation. Now the sentient world simulation is running. Yes, and somebody out there has access to an AI version of everything actually happening on Earth right now using all of our data. Apparently, the military and Fortune 500 companies. <sighs> so. Um, the idea is interesting. So I think what this guy is proposing is that the coronavirus, which we've already reached herd immunity in most countries, deaths are going down. The not saying that nobody's dying. No, no, no. Deaths, the, the, the death, death rate, rate is, is declining. declining. The virus is running the course that viruses run. There's a spike and there's a decline, mm -hmm. and then there's an immunity. And, and so that happens with viruses all the time. It's it's fitting the model of other viruses mm -hmm. from what i understand from the stats that i've been looking at it is a seasonal flu virus maybe one of the 10 worst we've had seasonal flus yeah so it's, it's the same virus it's more extreme mm -hmm. but not much more extreme than a regular flu season however this has become an overlay this flu has become an overlay that we are all now responding to it as a global pandemic, right. not just a flu. And in that simulation, what is happening in the sentient world uh, simulation... The AI of Earth that they people get to, are playing with. Right, so now that simulation is watching how we, the regular folks, deal with a global pandemic. The idea of a global pandemic. The idea of a global pandemic. Right. That's what this guy is saying, and is that the COVID-19 phenomena... Mm -hmm is not going to sh shake out to be much worse than a regular flu season. It mm. will be worse than some of our more recent flu seasons, but not much worse. It, it really sucks that people are dying. It always sucks that people die, and also people always die. And if you want, you can go to the CDC website and look at their statistics for what the flu season numbers are for this year, because guess what? They've combined this year's flu season with this year's coronavirus numbers, it, and they say it on the website. It's true. So just like the, the scientist that told me in Forbes magazine that we must not do our own research <sighs> also uses... He doesn't distinguish between people who died with coronavirus and people who died of coronavirus, which is the point that we make on every show. Yeah. You can die with coronavirus and have not been sick from coronavirus. Right. You could just have it. So I know this is tricky territory because uh, people are traumatized by... I people, know a, a lot of my friends die. are traumatized by Donald Trump. A lot of my friends are traumatized by the story of the coronavirus. Yeah. Not yeah. the coronavirus itself. And people on this planet are dying and our loved ones are dying and they and unfortunately they do that and some of my loved ones might die yes and i evaluate that thought in my mind every time i start having these theoretical conversations about maybe being smart about how viruses work yeah. and doing our own research about how viruses work yeah because i understand it really matters when it's somebody that you love that dies and i also know that my loved ones are going to die i'm really tired of qualifying that frankly. I'm sorry, man. I'm glad you're doing it, but I'm tired of qualifying it because what's shaking out is this virus is not going to be that much more extreme than a flu season. It's going to be a little stronger, but not that much more extreme. It is not going to play out the way that we were told it was possibly going to play out. Mm -hmm. We've had the lockdown is something that is the World Economic Forum has decided that this is a wonderful opportunity to bring out the Great Reset. 
So I'm going to zoom out and be Star Trek. Yeah. If you're wondering, if you're yeah. wondering what the heck is a show called post-orthodoxy, yeah. it's an orthodoxy to say people are dying. Stop asking questions about the coronavirus because yes. we know people are dying from it. People are dying. Wear a mask. That's an orthodoxy. Right. If you say, if you ever turn to someone and say, you're not allowed to ask questions about that, that's an orthodoxy. And that's what we are here to get out of. We're asking questions. And so... And we have a lot of really great sources that are prompting our research. I'm going to share one of them right now. Michael Levitt on Twitter, L-E-V-I-T-T. -T. He's a Stanford professor of biophysics, yeah. Cambridge PhD and DSC, 2013 chemistry Nobel laureate on complex systems, FRS and U.S. National Academy member. Right. And he's evaluating COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 statistics as compared to other pandemics and other viral behavior on the planet. And you can look at his information and decipher it just as we have done. Very good. There's a guy who I've been following, or a person, I don't know if it's a guy. There's a person who I've been following on Twitter. Gummy Bayer? Nope. Second Opinion is the mm. Twitter handle. At Defied, D-A-F-E-I-D. They have a thread here. And the beginning of the thread says, it's sad to talk about death, but this topic is important to put numbers in relation. I am really skeptic in regards to COVID data quality. Let's try to compare all-cause mortality versus corona death. And what he does is he starts talking about why it's difficult for him to accept the orthodox views of coronavirus. Tests in the U.S. and Europe start up too late. Mid-March is when we started doing tests. PCR test kits are unreliable. There was a lot of false uh, and positive negative tests. 30% is what I found. 30% of the PCR tests were incorrect, either as false or as positive. Countries... And that's data that any of our listeners could go and find for themselves also. Yeah, countries such as Sweden and Belgium assume positive. Test strategy differs, symptomatic, asymptomatic, and contact. Test strategy changed too frequently, even by regions. Mixed up stats with positive antibody results. All in all, data is really blurred from an overall view. I think it's quite important to address this matter. Quality may improve as time goes on. More data, less errors, less blurred. So... I think it's worth questioning when 30% of COVID tests are false positive. I've shared a link to Second Opinion on Twitter. You can look at news on Twitter without having a Twitter account. It's Think of it like any other newspaper or magazine that you read online, like the New York Times. You can go to Twitter and find reliable and unreliable information, just like you can find reliable editorials and unreliable editorials on the New York Times. Right. In June, there was some data that showed a significant drop in the number of people dying from heart disease, cancer, dementia, and all other leading causes of death. Huh. Wait, so way less people on the planet were dying from those things? Or were their deaths wrongly counted as COVID deaths? Well, we do know that was happening. Significant drop in number of people dying from heart disease, cancer, dementia, and all other leading causes of death, including influenza. <laughs> so, uh, my to tie this whole thing together, if we're talking about the fourth industrial revolution, which means reality is changing. It is being actively changed by some people on right the planet. Right now. 
And your vote in November is going to have very little to do with what's going with on the fourth the industrial revolution mm-hmm. because the people that you're voting for and the system that you are voting in is about to be replaced. It is actively being replaced right now. It doesn't mean don't vote in November. It means get hip to what's going on in the world outside of our little cat fight. Between Tiny the little left U.S. Right. cat fight. Yes. What the sentient world simulation is telling us is that we are being modeled. We have a AI reality going on simultaneously with the real reality. Based on all of our data that is everywhere. And when you roll out a pandemic scare, we are all being run through a simulation according to this model. So they can gather how people react to a pandemic scare. The idea is if this is not the big pandemic, there will be a big pandemic. The, the further we intrude into... Um, our wilderness areas, the more animals that die, the more imbalance that we have in our ecosystem, the more viruses jump from animal to human. Right. The more that we start messing with antibiotics and uh, messing with the biome through pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers, and antibiotics, sanitization, the more that we do this, the more that viruses mutate and they jump around from creature to creature Often, and they're going to be increasingly jumping from animal to human. So this virus may not be the virus it was sold as, but it seems like whether it is or not, there is a simulation being run right now, being run right now to figure out handle the next one, how to handle the next one. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, good idea, right? Except the information is going to Fortune 500 companies in the military. So it sounds like they're trying to figure out how to handle the next pandemic and give people less unemployment. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Because, I mean, Fortune 500 con- companies are exist. Uh, they win Fortune 500 by being some of the richest companies on the planet. They win by making money. So they're going to want to use this simul- simulation to make even more money. So what I would be interested in learning, if there are any listeners out there that are following the show and have listened to what we've been talking about, I'd be curious to see where the Venn diagram where the middle of the Venn diagram is when the fourth industrial revolution overlaps with our current oligarchy. Because the premise of the fourth industrial revolution is human dignity. That's what they're saying on their website. That's what they're saying on their website. The current oligarchical model Mm -hmm. that we are living under in the world, especially here in the United States, which is the premise of democracy that is not actually happening. The United States does not have a central practice towards human dignity. No. So it seems like this idea might provide a new perspective for folks to look at. And we in this country who are so doubled down in our right-left perspective, I don't think have afforded enough space to look outside of our country, to look outside of our political system, to look out of our social system, to look out of our economic system, to look at what is rising on the horizon for the planet. Yes. which I don't know if it is good or bad. Quote, unquote. It does seem that it's coming. It's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And we don't know enough about it to be informed uh, and to participate because it seems like we could be participating in the fourth industrial revolution either as creators or as consumers of it. I think we will be participating as consumers. Yeah. Can we participate as creators? Can we, as humans on the planet, can I, as an artist, have a voice in the fourth industrial revolution? Hmm. Is the fourth industrial revolution, as they say, blurring the lines between 
society, economics, biology, all the realms are going to be blurring and creating a new reality. This is what they say on their website. Right. Is that just an industrial model or is that a model for life in general? Is it just a model for making more money? Is the model of the fourth industrial revolution superimposing a business model on the model of the biosphere? Or does the biosphere, how much of the biosphere, how much of life is sitting at the table of discussions for the fourth industrial revolution? I, I mean, how many, what percentage of the planet participates in the United Nations? A tiny percentage. Well, you mean the folks that are making the calls? Yeah, I mean the people that actually sit in the room of the United Nations or whatever and make decisions. It's a tiny percentage of the planet. And they're not the World Economic Forum. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, for comparison, we do know who is in the United Nations room. Right. We can know who is a member of the United Nations and making decisions for the planet. Right. We don't yet know who is a member of the World Economic Forum. I don't think. I, I guess th- you could look it up. I mean, is there somewhere on their website that says who these people are that are making this decision about the fourth industrial revolution for the planet? I wanted to use today's show to introduce the idea of the fourth industrial revolution. <sighs> give a little intro. I would love if some folks out there that might be interested in what's happening, uh, the considering planet. the future of our reality. Right might be able to come up with some information and give me some pointers before next week's show because as we are doing a coronavirus uh, update every week, a little bit more of a take on what we found Mm -hmm. in looking at the coronavirus. What's going on in the world about this story? I think uh, with a show called Post-Orthodoxy, we should be looking at the Fourth Industrial Revolution as an ongoing story Mm -hmm. because it's challenging all orthodoxies. What they are saying, what it looks like they're saying deliberately and between the lines is the current state of our economics, our churches, our state, our war, our war is being changed. Our technology, our relationship to each other, yes. how we deal with each other is ah. go, is changing right mm-hmm. now and there are engineers there changing. There are people it. changing it. And again, I would like to be optimistic and say that's swell. Maybe I hope the folks people. that are changing it are not because our current model is built on in my opinion sociopathy. You don't become a billion, billion, billionaire like Jeff Bezos, possibly going to be our first trillionaire. You don't become that. As you say, it's an app game. They're just clicking the button and getting a high score. Making more, making more, making more. And that, to me, doesn't seem sane. It doesn't seem like a good model. When we are paying for, you know, we know the story, you know, Walmart, the Walton family, one of the richest families in the world, and so many of their employees are, we are subsidizing through our taxes. Yes. We're subsidizing their employees as they're becoming billionaires. That's a model that doesn't jive with what the World Economic Forum is saying. Honoring human dignity. Yes. It doesn't jive with that. So what that brings up for me is it makes me think, I wonder if the World Economic Forum really is the superheroes trying to save the planet and they're going to get eventually crushed by the oligarchy who want to keep making more money. Uh-huh. Or if the World Economic Forum is a smokescreen by the, the people oligarchs? running the planet right. that will make us, the civilians, continue to think that there's someone out there saving people. And it's actually being run by the same people who are running everything. I don't think you have to be an anth anthropological genius to look at the folks in the streets all over the world right now 
and determine that, that we can keep doing what we've been doing and people will keep having a good time. Mm-hmm. I think the oligarchs know that the pitchforks are at the door. And if the system doesn't change, at least the rhetoric around the system is going to have to change to keep the people in power in power. So I don't know if the World Economic Forum is just changing the rhetoric so that we feel like somebody is in charge and doing some good stuff, or if this is an actual thing that we should be encouraged by. Like I said, we're just introducing the idea of the Fourth Industrial Revolution. It will be an ongoing topic on the show. I've got a lot of research to do. Mm-hmm. And I will be offering perspectives from the pro and con as we go down this road because it is not an orthodoxy as of yet. The World Economic Forum is not an orthodoxy? The Fourth Industrial Revolution. Ah. It is still being formed. It's being created. It is not an orthodox perspective as of yet. Right. However, it is going to challenge all the orthodoxies. Medical, economic, social, spiritual. It's challenging all the models. All the orthodoxies And are, it exists, yeah. and it's online, and you yeah. could read about it if you wanted to. Or you can just keep pointing out Trump's misspellings every week and feel like you're a good member of society. Oof. Sorry, I'm you're tired of spicy, it. spicy, baby. I'm tired of it, man. It's not useful. It's not useful. I'll agree with you that it's not useful. And, and I care I, and about I, my friends who are traumatized. I have compassion for my friends that are traumatized, but I can't just keep ignoring their trauma and saying that that's okay. We have to move forward. If you have a friend who is in trauma and is taking actions that they think make them feel better but aren't actually healing themselves from their trauma... Yeah, that's enabling. Then then you not doing anything about it is enabling your friend. Yeah. If, so you're, if your loved one is, is doing... Yeah. I'm anyway. not enabling my Trump trauma friends anymore, and I'm not enabling my COVID-19 trauma friends anymore. There's information out there... And even though it's Forbes magazine... It's not healthy to be afraid all the time. Even it's though, not healthy to be afraid all the time. No, that's not good for your immune system, by the way. And uh, as long as Forbes magazine is telling people that you must not do your own research... Quote, unquote, do your own research. It's a problem. So rude. So condescending. I think we're going to have to wrap up the show. Better play that sweet, sweet outro. Yeah. Thanks for playing, folks. We'll be back next week. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?